Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit juviderm.com. Today's episode of Shut Up Evan is sponsored by Boxed Water. Summer is just about here, which means Barbie is soon in theaters, Che Diaz is terrorizing Los Angeles, and rising temperatures mean that you are likely dehydrated. Fear not. Boxed Water is here to provide you with the necessary hydration without the guilt of single use bottles and cans. Reusable bottles are clearly the best option for our planet, but there are situations where their use is not possible or practical. Boxed water offers the perfect solution in the form of a 92% plant-based package. Stay hydrated all summer long and beyond, and don't forget to check out their delicious flavors, including their limited-time watermelon flavor. Head to boxedwaterisbetter.com to find a location near you or to purchase online. That's boxedwaterisbetter.com. Why? Because it's better. Boxed water. Can I just ask? Shut up, Evan. I'm curious. Could you shut up, Evan? One thing I was thinking about. Shut up, Evan. So there are some rumors out there. Evan, shut up! Is it okay if I just ask? Shut up, Evan. Okay, but can I just... Shut up, Evan. I didn't even say anything. Hello, hello, hello. It is Evan Ross Katz. I am back, back, back again for season four B of Shut Up, Evan. <laughs> I'm joined once again by my co-host, Sean Ross. Sean... Hi. Hi. I'm back again, too. You are. I haven't talked to you since yesterday. That's true. For two hours. <laughs> two hours. We had to literally pause our other podcast after the first hour, realizing we had too much more to say. And we were like, let's continue this a few hours later. And then we just recorded what could have been an entirely separate episode and steamrolled them together. Yeah. Powerful stuff. Um, how are you? How have you been? I am good. I just returned from a long vacation. So I always do a vacation in May. And I usually like default to Europe because it's so easy and I'm lazy and set in my ways. And so I did this really long vacation. Like it felt 
too long almost. It was, it was gone for like 17 days total, but that's on me. But I had a great time. What do you constitute as like the perfect length of a vacation? I've been thinking about this and I think 12 days is perfect. I think you need two weekends. So like you leave, you arrive on a Friday and you leave on like the fall, like two weekends, Sundays later. So you're doing like Monday and Tuesday at work, heading out Wednesday. No, I'm leaving Thursday. And then I arrived at my location on Friday. Got it. And then you have the full following week. And then are you returning to work on a Monday? Um, yes. Yeah. Which isn't the best. Maybe this is like the workaholic in me, but like, I would rather take like two week long vacations than one two week vacation. Not because I don't think I would enjoy the latter, but because the idea of like turning off my email for more than a week scares me. You need to see somebody about that. I agree. I need to see someone about a lot of things. I think that's the tip of the iceberg. (laughs) Um, But I don't think I've ever done. I mean, Billy and I did 10 days in October, which I thought was the ideal length. I thought 10 days was the ideal length with Billy because it was 10 days of being with one person and one person only. You had like various stages of people joining you along the way, which I think can amplify the desire to go long. Yeah, so I had a unique situation. So I spent the first half with my boyfriend who had to come back because he only has so much vacation to use up. And then I had two friends come. So it really felt like two different trips, which I think actually helped things. But also, I'm not big on traveling with friends. I get irritated by people really easily. I didn't in this case necessarily. (laughs) But (laughs) I don't need to spend 24 hours a day with people, you know? You kind of have to have the kind of friend who is either very comfortable going off and doing their own thing or understands that like just because we're on a trip together doesn't mean we're like entirely together. We link up at appropriate times of day. Yeah, I know we were together all the time. <laughs> How are you? I am doing well. I just got a haircut and stunning. Thank you. Thank you. I don't know how you are, but like I feel differently post haircut. I have a little bit more like buoyancy in my step and also the same thing happened I got back I was home in Pittsburgh last weekend and literally Billy and I landed on our flight came home dropped off our stuff and went and got Manny's and Petty's and I literally left that place Jinsoon in Tribeca highly recommend I literally left there with that same sort of spring in my step there's something about just like maintenance of the body in any form where I feel like my life as a whole comes together a bit more. There's just more equilibrium to my to my spirit. So just got this haircut and like there's no stopping me now. I feel you. This is why I've had the same haircut for 10 years because I can't grow it out. I get it. Um, beyond that, we have been in, I was going to say in the thick of wedding planning, but I feel like that would imply mm. that we're like further along in the, the <laughs> process but we are in the thick of looking at venues and being indecisive about them where are we looking well we've seen three venues at like three in three very different like aesthetics of uh-huh. what a wedding could be and it's not that we're not aligned on what we want so much as like i can really easily be convinced about something in a moment and then like We'll go and see it, and then, like, during the tour, I'll be like, this is the spot. And then we'll walk outside, and then Billy will point out, like, a major flaw, and I'll be like, oh, yeah, no, we can never do it here. (laughs) I know this is just part of finding a perfect spot for anything, or just finding perfection in life is sort of, there's always some level of settling, 
But I think that it's more difficult in this situation because I'll really like one aspect of something and then, but then it will have another aspect that I don't like. And then I have to decide which aspect is the one that's like outweighs the other one. And like, for instance, we just saw this venue um, earlier this week. That was really, really great. It's one that Billy really likes. They require you to use their florist. They have like a list of approved vendors only for florists. And like, I feel really strongly about florals and I have Uh these two florists that I'm really keen to use, but I'm like, is that a deal breaker? I don't know. This is why I've never sent you flowers. If you do though, I'll send you my approved vendors. You can buy yourself flowers. You can buy yourself flowers. I don't want to become wedding brained to the point where it becomes my whole personality. Like, you know me, it's like Uh things like white Lotus and just like that become my personality. I've got room for that. I don't think I have room to be, the gay who's in the thick of wedding planning. I want to stay in the uh-huh. thin of wedding planning, but it is definitely like on my mind. And I, and I like that we're like making forward motion, but then people keep asking like, Oh, when is it? And I'm like, we don't have a date. We have a desire to look at venues. That's like the stage that we are at. So the date's going to be decided by the venue availability. Yes, because maybe <laughs> some people might find this really tacky or relatable, but like we are malleable by date in terms of pricing. Yeah, sure. Tacky? Are you kidding me? That's not tacky. Okay, yeah, I don't know. So time of year, we'll do the cheapest time of year, but the thing is, the cheapest time of year is often booked up because of people with similar-minded sensibilities as us. So it's sort of like a scale. So like this one place, January and February are their cheapest months. They're sold out, but they have an early March date. So like, that's a possibility. My ideal month for a wedding is October. Mm-hmm. I feel like you're far enough out of summer where people have the time off and the desire to travel, mm-hmm. but you're not yet into like the holiday season, which can also lead to like, I think when you push into like November, people are in the Thanksgiving, you know, December holiday madness headspace where it's harder to justify a trip so close to what's probably another trip. So October is that sweet spot, but I don't know. I don't know if it's realistic. Yeah, I'm not coming if it's in January. You're not coming? I'm joking. Okay. You are invited. You're on the list. (laughs) You're on the list. Anywho, so that's what I've been up to. But today, I wanted to talk about, you know, speaking of personalities that I take on, Mm -hmm. Jury Duty, the Amazon freebie show uh, that came out, I think it was... I want to say March. You know what's funny? I was thinking about this ahead of our conversation because I've been thinking a lot about Kylie Minogue's Padum Padum. Sure, as everyone has. Well, I feel like it came (laughs) and went quickly. Like when I see someone sharing the meme now, I'm kind of like, we're still doing this. Whereas with Jury Duty, I felt like it uniquely got a really long shelf life to the point where I was like, Is it worth us still talking about it today? And I was like, no. I was like, Jury Duty still feels relevant to me. But then I was thinking about like, you know, like um, Tiger King or Cheer or like Mm -hmm. these shows that were like huge for a moment and then like are completely out of mind, out of sight. I feel like jury duty is something that, A, I think people are still talking about, but I think that will have a place in the zeitgeist of television of, of this year, if not longer. Yeah, I think it's distinctly unique from a Tiger King, for example, because a Tiger King has a really gimmicky aspect. And what is great about Jury Duty is that it has heart. It is like uh, 
sort of reality show, but it's also sort of a comedy script that feels scripted in some way. I know it's uh, not necessarily fully scripted, but the beats are scripted. And I think that it sets itself apart by really having like heart and soul in terms of a great cast and like a compelling story and a compelling, yeah, it does have a gimmick in terms of the way that it's produced, but it's a compelling one that keeps you thinking. I mean, there's a reason people still talk about The Truman Show and reference The Truman Show. Like, that's not that great of a movie, but the, well, it's actually pretty good. But the conceit is so fascinating. Absolutely. And it's interesting, you know, you mentioned Heart and Soul. I feel like they intended for this to have Heart and Soul, but they also were lucky in that it organically has Heart and Soul. And I don't think the intention necessarily would have carried them through like that the intention was not enough for this to work so i think it's a combination of like a great amount of preparedness on the creator's parts but also this element of luck and i think the alchemy of those two things coming together is what makes this show so great but just to back up a little bit for those that haven't seen it or or this isn't even on their radar sean how would you explain what jury duty is Well, to raise the Truman Show comparison again, there is one person who is not in on a huge, massive production that is about them. So we have one person joining jury duty, and they they believe that they are participating in a documentary about the jury system in the United States, and that everything around them is real, because why would you think that it's not real? And so they are uh, leading, they are the foreman of the jury in a trial, a kind of like very small claims type of trial, like very inconsequential. And everyone around them is an actor and all of the beats are scripted. And we're watching how this one individual is reacting to the insanity going on around them. Had you heard the term foreman before this show? That was very new Never. to me. Never. Never. And now I'm using it daily. Oh, totally. It's 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 pure <laughs> nomenclature at this point where it's like the foreman, obviously. There's another term I learned from the show, Jouis de Veilleur. Do you know what I'm talking about? It's the name of episode one. Um, it's the process in which that they're finding the jurors. It's oh. called, oh, V-O-I-R V-O-I-R space D-I-R-E. Voir dire. Is that Latin? <laughs> going to go out on a limb and say yes. Voir dire is the preliminary examination of a witness or a juror by a judge or counsel. So that is mm. really the premise of the first episode in which we're seeing a bunch of what we know to be actors um, seeing who's going to ultimately end up on the jury. So who is this guy? Who is at the center of all of this? His name is Ronald Gladden. Um, What's your take on our hero? I truly think it is 12 out of 10 casting for reality TV because it's hard to classify this show, whether it's reality or whether it's improvised comedy. I would put it into the reality sphere because we are following the real reactions of this one individual. And I just think he's so unassuming. And in my mind in the beginning, I thought, why him? How did they land on this guy? And as it progresses, it turns out he is the absolute perfect. You couldn't have asked for a better subject for reality TV because he is so unbelievably normal. And yet 
he is so heroic in the way that the story plays out and he's just like a truly all-around great guy there's really no faults in his personality and i don't know how they found somebody like that because some of these situations i could imagine the average joe not having a great response or saying something not so great and this guy just hits the nail on the head and it's truly amazing casting in my opinion absolutely do you know how they found him Uh, All I know is what they shared in the show, that there was 2,500 applicants who believed that they were going to be participating in this documentary and that they screened these applicants and they chose him. But what that screening looked like, I don't know. Yeah, so this was done on Craigslist. They put out an ad on Craigslist, Mm. which I didn't even know still existed. Literally. What are people using Craigslist for? This is the thing. I feel like you only find Ronald Gladden on Craigslist. Oh yeah, he exists in real life or on Craigslist. One or the other, <laughs> nowhere else. Well, there's two types of people who use Craigslist. Perverts and this guy that's so pure. <laughs> it's a binary. <laughs> <laughs> so they put this ad out on Craigslist, basically, as you said, presenting it as like an anthropological look at jury duty. And from what I understand, having interviewed Ronald, which you can check out on my newsletter, by the way, but having interviewed Ronald, Ronald was sort of interested in learning about what this experience was like. Ronald seems like someone who is eager to have life experiences, which reminds me of our friend Mike White. I feel like that's very Mike Whiteian, which is just like, hey, I'm going to go and play on the show called Survivor, not because I need the money uh, or not because I need something to do, just because it's like, this seems fun. And I feel like Ronald Gladden shares that same sensibility, which was like, he saw this opportunity to do something he hadn't done before. Um, little did he know just how much it would be something he hadn't done before. And he leaned all the way in. And, and to your point, there are so many moments um, where he could have really shown his true colors. And, well, he did show his true colors. He did. And they were great colors. They were great colors. <laughs> Reds and greens and cerulean. No, truly. Uh, The example that comes to mind for me as being sort of like the most overt is you have this moment, I think it's in episode two, I believe, and there's a character who they call them chants. He has created chair pants, which are essentially like little mini crutches that he's affixed to like kind of like a seat belt and he basically attaches them to his ass and it's basically so that anywhere he's going he can sit down but the thing is when he's actually trying to sit in actual seats he still has the chance attached to him so whether it be getting in the bus to come to jury duty or even sitting in the jury box he's got the chance attached to him and Obviously, all the other actors know what's going on, but Ronald doesn't. And, like, Ronald could be like you and I and, like, completely side-eyeing this or just being, like, this lunatic. And instead, (laughs) Ronald... And this is just one example. The character's name is Todd. This is one example of Todd's uh, idiosyncrasies, if we could say. Uh, And Ronald not only, like, enjoys them, Ronald invites him to screen the film A Bug's Life in an effort to teach Todd or or I don't know, underline for Todd the idea that like being different 
is okay. It's beautiful. It's so beautiful. And I also love that scene. I think it's later in the season, like episode six, maybe, where they're having a birthday party. And James Marsden, who is playing himself as an alternate juror, believes that this party is to sell or to a, a condolence party for a role he didn't get. And he flips the cake. And it's so well done. Like props to these improv actors. (laughs) (laughs) Don't give me a word longer than like three syllables. Uh, That they react so well. And you see it. And James talks about this in the end that that was the the one moment where he felt, oh, I feel bad because I've made Ronald feel so bad. And like you just get this really tender side of this sort just very sort of straight male who could react in any other way he could have called James like an asshole he could have lashed out he didn't he like felt sad, sad for the guy whose birthday party it was and whose cake was ruined there's something about and i don't know if it's like sort of reductive that i feel this way but there's something about watching a cis straight man being tender in any way yeah. or like just being so emotionally vulnerable that I find so sweet. And I can understand the perspective of like hearing someone like me say that and be like, God, do we hold cis straight men to the bare (laughs) fucking minimum? And it's like, yes, perhaps so, but I can't help but have such a strong reaction because I think a lot of the collective response to Ronald and this sort of uh, idea of like us as a fan base, putting him on this pedestal is that we just don't see a lot of honest-to-God representation of cis straight men being good people and for nothing, right? Because again, he has no idea what's really going on here. We're witnessing Ronald being himself. And that's what makes all of this sort of like post-show stuff, the press cycle that he's doing now, and, and what will come next super interesting to sort of examine because... Now he is aware of his status as the good guy. And so now there's a level of conscious or not of him wanting to fulfill the role that he's been ascribed by all of us. But for these eight episodes, unencumbered, he is just being himself who we are, what what he is putting down is being picked up by us as this hero. It's quite remarkable. Yeah. Now, Tell me, you just finished watching the show mm-hmm. last night. I love that we're having this this talk right now because I saw it months ago. I've been talking to the actors and the creators and, you know, ingesting as much of the show as I can, whereas, like, this is fresh off the presses for you. And I want to zero in particularly on that final episode because that's when we get the big reveal. And it's so high stakes in that moment because uh, for those that don't know, it was a 17-day shoot. But beyond that, there were months and months of pre-production. There were two weeks of rehearsal with the cast before the 17-day shoot. There was so much effort put into this ruse. And at any moment, If one thing went wrong and Ronald started to suspect what was going on, it could all come crashing down. So you feel that in episode eight. What was your reaction to watching the scene in which the judge reveals to Ronald that everything about this trial, everything you've known your life to be for the last 17 days has been entirely fake? 
I thought it was perfect. And it was because of Ronald's muted reaction. Because so often we're conditioned in especially American game show television and reality television to have these really big, larger than life characters or contestants. And here you have the judge saying, this is all fake. I'm not a judge. These aren't jurors. You're part of like an experiment, basically. And his reaction is like, really? Oh, my God, this is crazy. And I find that so refreshing because that's what was so refreshing about Ronald all the way along. If he had like leapt up and screamed and celebrated that he's awarded this money at the end of the show, uh, it would have felt out of character for Ronald. And then I would have questioned the whole act through the, throughout the series, whether that was an act, maybe. Um, but it was so authentically Ronald and so refreshing in the reality TV sphere, I think. Totally. I mean, it makes me think about how, you know, you and I are big Survivor fans. We have our Survivor podcast, Drop Your Buffs. And so often you have these moments, especially in modern Survivor, where it will cut to the jury and they're making these big facial reactions in response to something being revealed or so-and-so had an idol or so-and-so blindsided so-and-so or withheld this information. And you get these very, they might be authentic, but I feel like even if they're rooted in authenticity, it's like people take what is like an eight and they amp it up to a 10, always, because mm-hmm. they're aware that cameras are on them. There's this expectation, and this happens on Housewives, too, and so many reality shows where we are two-plus decades into reality television, and most people that are on reality television have chosen to be on reality television, and there's more often than not a greater goal and an effort to say, okay, how do I keep, the camera's gonna be on me, but how do I keep the edit on me? Yeah. And how you keep the edit on you is by going big. I mean, that's, I think, instinctually what so many people think they need to do. And what you're pointing out is, well, A, that's just not Ronald, but also because Ronald wasn't trying to make television in the way that I think so many people self-produce these days, you get that incredibly authentic reaction, which works so much better than had he had a big reaction to it. Because A, as you said, it would have felt disingenuous that he's processing this information. It's so much to process to think that you have so many immediate questions going on and you're looking around the room, I imagine, for someone to like lock eyes with and be like, holy shit. But Everyone everyone else was in on it. You don't even have an ally in your sort of paradigm shift. You're alone in that moment. Camera's up. And then all of them, and this is one of the great things about that episode, they're all having a reaction to Ronald's reaction because they've been essentially holding in this secret for 17 days and also, and this is the the sort of the secret sauce of the show, they've all fallen in love with him. Mm-hmm. And so what you see in that moment, and you, and you really do see it on Marsden's face, is this idea that we're so excited to have the secret out of the bag and we want to protect him and make sure that we stay on him in this moment and allow him to understand that all of this was fake, dot, 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 except for our feelings for you, that was real. We fell in love with you in the exact same way that we, the audience now, all these months later, we've fallen in love with Ronald. They too have fallen in love with him. And you want to make sure to express immediately in that moment that like, that is real. There's a part of this that is real. And that is the secret sauce here where it's not some big joke. 
I love that this cast, if, if you go on social media, they're all hanging out. They all really love each other. So it's like, as much as this was so staged and, and meticulously crafted, the authenticity that crept in from the outset, but especially there in the end, that is what makes this something that there are things you can compare it to. You mentioned the Truman Show. I think of like the Joe Schmo Show mm -hmm. did something similar. We've seen other examples of Everyone is in on it except for this one person. But I think never with the impact of this show. Yeah. Well, it feels like prestige TV and it's a reality show. And I think that that's incredible and that's a high bar that's been set. And I want to see more of it. How do you do this show again? That's such a good question. You and I, and I think many of our listeners, are like deeply, if not chronically, online people but to the point we made at the beginning, there are people that go on Craigslist, right? Like mm -hmm. we, there's a whole faction of people who are not watching The White Lotus, ha don't know who Che Diaz is. Like there are people that are not on the internet that will never even have heard of Amazon Freeview's jury duty. So, I mean, the great thing about Ronald is you scroll through his Instagram page and you get pre-jury duty and you're like, oh, this is, this is a regular guy. He existed page. before this show. Yeah, it's crazy, <laughs> and it's not surprising that he would would not have like considered like being a part of reality television, some some huge reality TV show. Totally. So and that's what makes him so great. I do think there's a way to do this show again. What I would want is the entire cast returning. I don't know if I need if if it's the same characters that they play. Uh, I, that part I don't know, but like I do think that this cast is just so superb, mm -hmm. and I want to see them all together again. And I do think that like having done it once before, they would be like ultra primed to go and do it again. So I would love to see it again. What I not worry about, but like one concern I would have going into it is it's like you set such a high bar with Ronald that I don't know how you get, I mean, well, the question is like, do you want another Ronald? I would think you kind of would want something different, but like how, but what is different that still gives you the same satisfaction of this show? Like, I'm not sure how you do it again, unless you find that perfect cast member, the perfect Ronald Gladden 2.0. So I really think that if I were the creators, it's like the search is on, to see if there's another Ronald Gladden out there. But also, again, like, you don't want Ronald Gladden again. You want someone with that same innate goodness. But then it makes me think about, like, and no disrespect to this show, but it makes me think about, like, the heroes on a show like Queer Eye, who they very much are going in and, like, finding people who do heroic things in their, like, day-to-day -day life and and don't get the um, the affirmation or just the consideration that they deserve. Whereas, like, Ronald's not a conventional hero in the sense of, like, he's this guy out in the world doing good stuff and making the world a better place. It's much, it's much smaller than that. Mm -hmm. And so my concern... Again, no, sorry, not concern. My, my, my want, I should say, would be to find someone who's not a conventional hero on paper and more someone it's more an internalized heroism in the sense that they are someone who believes in the goodness of humanity has compassion has compassion has empathy yeah yeah wants a, a desire to learn i think that was the big thing with ronald was he wanted to have experiences right that's yes. why he signed up for this thing he wanted to get to know people and i thought that what was so great about the entire season was his 
journey of friendship with James Marsden because from that first scene where he didn't know who he was and then it clicked for him who he was and then you know James Marsden's telling him oh I was in Sonic and he says I heard that movie wasn't very good like who would say that meeting James Marsden only this guy and then that he goes away and night after night he's doing his research and watching James Marsden movies and coming back and talking to him about them it's so pure and childlike almost the sense of wonder that he had throughout this whole experience, not just with James Marsden, but meeting all of these different cast of characters. Absolutely. And it's so great to know that James has sort of been this ongoing presence in Ronald's life after the fact, because as you'll hear in the interview in this episode, Ronald's now being presented with opportunities right and left. I mean, people want a piece of Ronald and that can be incredibly overwhelming if you don't have someone shepherding shepherding you through the fame cycle as it exists today and especially how it can be quite fleeting when you're when you're in an on moment everyone wants you and then you can be discarded very quickly i'm not saying that's what's going to happen to ronald but i'm just saying it's nice that you have someone like james who's been this been in this industry for 3 decades is like profoundly unjaded in a way i find so compelling but is willing to like stick it out and and and, and be there for ronald after the fact this could have been a one and done. And I think Marsden has shown himself in many senses to be a hero in his own right in the way he's authentically treated Ronald. It, it tells you so much about Marsden. I'm so charmed uh, by James Marsden. Um, I mean, he's so beautiful. So like there's that yeah, aspect. We all to it. Are. it was funny. The creator <laughs> of the show warned me before the interview coming up. She said, just be aware. Like he, you obviously, you know how handsome he is, but like in person, it will disarm you. And uh, yeah, no, it did. It, it certainly did. I have to say it, it, when they first reached out about this interview, they were like, can this be done over zoom? And my response was no. It, it it cannot be done <laughs> over Zoom. And thank God it wasn't. Um, and it's funny, too, because I was like, we were going to record at like the, the studio that I typically use for in-person interviews. And then I was like thinking about it. And I was like, he needs like, we need it to go HD for this. <laughs> so I was like, I've got James Marsden. But yeah, it was funny, too. The, the engineer for this recording, he was like, oh, who are we recording with today? And I was like, James Marsden. And he was like, oh, I don't know him. And I was like, oh, yeah, I was like, um, he was Cyclops and X-Men. And he was like, oh, and I think he thought maybe like I meant like, I don't know, like, you know, an animated series and he was the yeah, voice. Yeah. I don't think he like thought exactly. Yeah. So then James walks in, <laughs> walks out to go to the bathroom and the guy turns to me and he goes, oh, my God, it's Scott Summers. Which, by the way, I had to Google after the fact because I was like, please. Uh, Sorry. Scott Summers iconic. But I think that's just sort of like James Marsden to a T. And honestly, I think he would appreciate that moment so much because he just is so egoless in a way that I can only aspire to be. It's well, I can only aspire to have the amount of success that he has to then be <laughs> egoless. But yeah, like, sure. it's just really <laughs> remarkable. So before we go over to our interview with James, do you have anything you want to add or any any final words on jury duty? No, I would just say everybody needs to go watch it. If you're hesitant about watching a reality TV show, because maybe that's not your thing, like this is not a reality TV show. It is and it isn't. It really is incredible storytelling, incredible acting. These characters are so three-dimensional. I feel like I know them all and want to know them all more, to your point. Like, we need to bring these people back in some capacity and find somebody who's never heard of this show and do it again. Yeah. And honestly, shout out to these actors, many of whom are actors slash 
lawyers or who work in some tangential field within law. Um, shout out to these writers and these executive producers, to my friend David Bernad, who executive produced this show, as well as The White Lotus. Um, this team of people that came together to make this, they the care and craftspersonship in this show is so evident. It's so felt. Um, I don't know about you, but I got so emotional watching that last episode in a really surprising way because you're laughing your ass off for seven episodes of this show. And then all of a sudden, it, it doesn't just pull at your heartstrings. It like it yanks in a way. It's it's really remarkable. There was such a moving moment where the jury is all sitting together and they're taught like the actors who play the jury and Ronald are all sitting together. And he's kind of like, well, I, I really like fell in love with you guys. Like I and now I don't know you. And then one of the jurors, I can't remember her name. Cassandra. Turns to him and says, we are nine, 90 percent of our characters are us. And so you do know us. Yeah. And I thought that was really like so on the nose. And mm-hmm. Something that, yeah, it's really easy to think these people were acting and he doesn't actually know them. But no, so much of yourself goes into your character, especially when you're playing the character for 12, 13 hours a day for 17 days straight. I also just think in contrast to so much popular media right now, whether it be, you know, White Lotus or Succession or like these stories about people with these like crazy extravagant lives, which by the way, I love and appreciate. I just like the simplicity of this show and its design and the celebration of like everyday people um, doing something as simple as showing someone a bug's life. It's like those stories matter too. Um, So without any further ado, I'm so fucking excited. I'm honored that he took the time to do this uh, and in person. I'm going to pass it over now to the interview that I did with the legendary star of Ally McBeal, season five, James Marston. Before we get deeper into it, let's take a quick break and check in with today's sponsor. Today's Shut Up Evan is sponsored by Sunday Riley. I was going to say it's the beauty industry's best kept secret, but it's really no secret. Sunday Riley is the go-to brand for those who want great skin at a great value. I'm a huge fan of all of their products, even though my application process could use some refinement, but my current favorite of their offerings is their Good Jeans Lactic Acid Treatment. Good Jeans deeply exfoliates the dull surface of the skin for instant glow and radiance. As dull, dead surface cells are removed, clarity and smoothness are restored. No wonder it was listed as one of InStyle Magazine's best beauty buys of 2022. Go to sundayriley.com to check out Good Jeans as well as their full range of product offerings. That's sundayriley.com. Shut up, Evan. Well, needless to say, thank you for being such a champion of the show. I mean, My pleasure. Honestly, really... thank you for thanking me, but like, it has nothing to do with me. Well, it's, you know, it's just uh, such a surprise. I mean, I know we all hoped that it would do well, but... Um... I don't think I've ever been a part of something that's been that's just risen to the, you know, into the zeitgeist so quickly and well, into the collective consciousness of the people. So and fast. I think on uh, so many different levels of like why there's a lot to unpack sure. as to why. Yeah, yeah. I'm getting ahead of myself too. We should no, I get it. it. I get it. Honestly, <laughs> I was I was prepping my questions to you today, and I was like, I could talk for just an hour about a specific scene in the show. I was just like, yeah. Oh, that's so nice. Like I get it. I I tell you, I mean, and no joke, it's, I've never had, I've never worked on something. I have more things to say about as well. I get it. Cause it was just as much a journey for me as it was for him. 
Also, you have 17 days of the experience where we saw it in what, six hours or however. Yeah, I need to get that right. I was, I was fluctuating between like, it's three weeks of his life, it's four weeks of his life, it's two and a half weeks. How many actual? I've corroborated 17. 17 yes. days, 17 actual ten, shoot days. Yes, uh, two weeks of rehearsal, 10 weeks of the writer's room. Yeah, you wanna jump right in or you wanna count down? Uh, I can jump right in. All right, let's do it. Okay, great. <laughs> Uh, I'm not really, I'm not one to do really intros to get into it. When I listen to these interviews, sometimes they'll read through the actor's credits and then the actor always responds with, thank you for that, that beautiful intro. We are evading the beautiful intro. But if I may ask, if I were to intro you, what are three of the credits that you would hope that I would read off? Well, you want me to just pick three? Yeah. Why? You know, 30 years. Uh, <laughs> well, now that I'm not getting my whole IMDb resume uh, I know, sorry, right back, sorry. I, uh, let's see, what I would say maybe more recent stuff, maybe like Dead to Me, Sonic the Hedgehog, Westworld, I would say the three. But then, you know, going back a few decades, you're going into like enchanted hairspray notebook stuff. Okay. So you're skipping Straw Dogs. Yeah, we're going to skip Straw Dogs just for today. I okay. feel like I always lead with that. Yeah. And I feel like today I need to kind of give some of the others some love. I will tell you, I've been on a early 2000s horror kick recently. I guess that's 2011, so the early 2010s, if you will. Okay. Um, I really enjoy that movie. Which one? Straw Dog. Oh, okay. It's right. really well, scary. I'm glad you like it. <laughs> yeah, that was it was scary for me to step into that because it was obviously Sam Peckinpah and Dustin Hoffman, and I was playing Dustin Hoffman's role, which is like, you know, just asking for punishment. You know, we sort of reworked it a bit and Rod Lurie had a specific take on it. And, you know, we're in that sort of zone of reimagining things and it was a great role and I was like, sure, let's do it. I got it. Glad, it, glad, it, glad you liked it. Yeah. yeah. So before we talk about the show of the moment, Jury Duty, I do want to ask though, because I believe you are the first actor that I've had on the podcast and in the vein of not taking ourselves too seriously, mm -hmm. uh, who appears in the Imagine video. <laughs> um, I just have to ask, as one of the stars of a video that really kicked off the COVID era of entertainment. I guess you could call it that. You, you could say right. that. Um, I know that it was made with an earnestness in sure. which it was not received. And I'm just wondering how you look back on that experience. I never thought it would be something you know, something that we'd be sitting here talking about, right? But uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, I think I probably could have gone back and put a little more thought into it. It was just a friend, a couple of friends just reaching out quickly going, hey, want to be a part of this? And yes, yeah, so I think probably in those really sensitive times, it was probably a good idea to vet more of what the tone was going to be, what the ultimate application was going to look like. And I remember asking the question, what key are we doing it in? Uh-huh. <laughs> And the friend, I won't mention who it is, but she was involved in the whole thing. She said, I don't think it matters. And I went, um, <laughs> this, there's the tone deaf element of it just sort of through the sensitivity lens. And then there's literally the tone deaf element. We're all, yeah, in, yeah, different, yeah. We're all in different keys. Yeah. But I think, yes, I, all of us were, our hearts were in the right place. It just, you know, we didn't really read the room, I guess, uh, at the time. Let's exercise some forgiveness of the past, I guess. I would even say it doesn't even need forgiveness. I just, I enjoy watching it back from time to time because um, it's just uh, reflective of a moment in time in our culture. Sure. You know? Yeah, yeah. So talking about jury duty now. Have you ever served in a jury before? Uh, yes, ma'am. Was that here in Los Angeles? No. Where was it? Cannes. In France? Yeah, it was the film festival. I mean a civil or a criminal jury. Oh, no, no, sorry, no. You know, you've been in this industry for 30 years. Mm -hmm. You've done the press thing quite a bit. 
And I imagine yeah. that you're in a lot of situations in which you're forced to speak about a project that you maybe feel mid about at best. Sure. Um, this doesn't seem like one of those situations. So what is it like for you to be talking about something that seems to be um, had a great impact on not only your professional life, but it seems like your personal life as well? Yeah, uh, it was unlike anything I uh, had ever been pitched before or or been a part of. I got very excited early on about the improvisational component of the show because that's that's my style of comedy. I've always been inspired by Christopher Guest and um, The Office and Larry Sanders Show, Curb, all those like great sort of scripted but like outline scripted, and then the dialogue's not really scripted. You sort of got to be in the zone and and be able to flow with it, and then all of these other parts of it that were just. You know, new territory for me, which is, you know, the sort of reality show thing of you have one person who's there who doesn't know that it's, it's, it's all fake. And then on the other side of it, the opportunity to kind of send up the Hollywood entitled celebrity, right? <laughs> A little bit. I had, I definitely had fun with that, but yeah, it's like you said, you know, I've, I've done tons of press over the years and it's not fun when you have to hawk or you shill a show that, uh, is not great, right? You got to pretend like it's great. And this one, it was like such a risk. The balance of the comedy mixed with the sort of sentiment at the end, the sort of kind undertones of the show. You just didn't know if it was going to work. It's just, it's difficult to find a comp. But now in hindsight, it's just like we got really lucky. And there's multiple high wire acts here, right? Because there's the idea that you have to keep this secret from him for 17 days, almost three weeks. But then on top of that, there's the other high wire act of how is he going to react when you have the big reveal? Right. So you have like, Three weeks, and then this is what, uh, 17 days of shooting, two weeks of rehearsal, in which you're planning all essentially for a specific moment that could deflate the tire entirely. Yeah, that you could not even get to. You could not even get right? to. You know, we were in danger of, always in danger of not getting him to the finish line. And one of the interesting things about the show is how how many risks you took within the the umbrella risk that is the show. So I'm thinking specifically about your shit, you know? Yeah. Um, which is one of those moments where like, had he gone into the bathroom and tried to flush the toilet, like that could have been a moment that would like, he he realizes this is not, not a real shit. Real, Everything right. blows up. Um, or, or the chance, uh, uh, Todd's chair pants mm -hmm. that he has. Like this was just, the premise is already quite absurd. And then you guys just kept pushing it and pushing it. Right. Which is so incredible. That's why we love it. Well, yeah, I think that's one of the reasons why it works. It was it was a delicate dance throughout because we were tasked with creating a show like The Office, right, where we're actually pushing these comedic beats that are all scripted. No dialogue was really scripted, but it was these circumstances that we had to push. But we also needed to make sure that we kept him in the world of believability, right? That, that he bought that all of this was actually organically happening. And so earlier when I said we were lucky, I mean, we were, we really yeah. were. I don't think anything has been done like this before where you could get two weeks in and he could figure it all out. And Amazon now has two weeks of footage that they can't use, right? That they- Totally. Uh, but I think that was kind of the appeal. It was, we all were, I've never been more focused and more prepared in my life. Um, all of us were on pins and needles and just on, you know, on our sharpest game because nobody wanted to be the one to sink it. 
Talk to me about day one. You you do these couple weeks of rehearsal, and this is like a, a rocket ship, right? And once it takes off, it, it, you're gone. Like you know, what yeah. I mean, like it, it just goes. And so you have this opening scene where all of the people that have been summoned to be potential jurors are gathering in the room. You walk in. You don't even know whether or not he's going to recognize you. I mean, like I there's just the variables begin from the outset. And I feel mm. like of everyone, you have perhaps the tallest order in that you are both James, the human being, and then James Marsden, whatever that may mean to him, which you have to interpret in that moment. Mm -hmm. And you can kind of decide, he might have an association with you where he might be a super fan of yours for all you know. You don't know. It was live theater. It was flying without a net. It was be adaptable, be nimble, you know, be able to evolve with the situation. And once he starts to reveal who he is, then you kind of tailor what you're doing to that right like if he came in and said oh my god i'm, I'm a super fan I, I love all your movies then i would keep that in my back pocket and know that i have a little power over him so that i can be his pal and then upset him later with some totally. of my behavior whereas he came in and didn't really he recognized me but didn't really know from what which is most of the time what happens with me where are you from i, I know i've seen you somewhere i'm like i don't know <laughs> but um and so then it was like a comedic opportunity to set myself up for disappointment, right? <laughs> right? Like, oh, I was in this movie, this movie, this movie. And hopefully he was like, I have not seen any of those. And then I can look crestfallen, which is funny, right? Like the whole totally. point of me doing this sort of sensationalized heightened version of myself is to see him kind of walk in peacocking and chest puffed out and, you know, the conceited petulant brat and then be brought down to earth <laughs> by all these people who don't give a shit about who he is. Totally. Uh, and that's where the comedy comes from, you know? So I had these sort of different roadmaps um, in my head of where it could go. It required a, a level of focus and, um, pr- and being present to really be there. And just all I knew about him was he was a really tall six foot six guy. He was a solar panel contractor out of San Diego and good luck. Go. Let's see what he says. Yeah. And it, he ended up being one of the kindest, most pure-hearted people that I've ever met and and a really good spirit. And he was a good sport about the whole thing. And he was actually walking us into moments that were scripted that we were like, is this, this is too crazy. Like he got to the racism line before yeah. we did. That was supposed to be <laughs> yeah. one of Noah's lines. He beat us to it with the Family Guy reference. What do people usually say when they're trying to like get out of this like what's like the move like i'm only going off the thing i've seen on family guy and that's probably not <laughs> the best thing wait what was it peter pretends to be racist to get out of training dude it's pretty smart i um i i, I sir um I'm, I'm i also am uh racist sir please have a seat so it was really perfect and uh and then every day we would just sort of massage whatever we were doing the next day we would just adjust for what happened that day with him yeah so it was constantly in flux what we were doing. And there were scripts. And by the end, by the last three episodes, it wasn't, the scripts were kind of out the window and it was literally just a beat sheet. It's like, okay, here are the beats. Ken plays his Korean game. Right. And it was just so fun by the end there because, you know, this reluctant four person that he was, he took on the role of four person yeah. with such gravitas mm-hmm. <laughs> that you would watch these moments when we as the viewer are watching these actors acting, but then you start to see this glimmer in your eye. I ha- There's several moments with you in episodes seven and eight yeah. where I'm like, this is not James Marsden playing the character of James Marsden. I think this is James Marsden looking at Ronald the person 
and with just pure love yeah. because he's such a good guy. Yeah. Um, one micro moment that stands out for me that I really uh, love of yours in, in terms of improv, I love the whole Cody business. And for people that don't know, Noah believes <clears throat> that his girlfriend might be cheating on him because she's on a trip with someone named Cody. And the cast is sort of talking about whether or not Cody is a guy's name or a girl's name. And there's this whole back and forth. And then you emerge because you're reading your script and you bring up your character, Caleb, and you want to offer Caleb to the conversation. Cody's a girl's name, no? Cody can be boy or girl. I have a There's nephew a named I Cody. I a sophomore named Cody. It's a girl. Uh, all right, okay, that's what I'm saying. I is different. Really? It's really interesting names in this script. You want to take a guess? Caleb? Name Caleb? Is that a guy or a girl? That is just such a great moment of like, there's already a funny premise. The container's already funny. Then yeah. everyone's spitballing things, adding to, and also what's so great about this cast, some of them are saying, affirming the fact that no, Cody's a girl's name. And then others are like, no, no, I, had a, I, had a, I have a nephew named Cody. It's a guy's name. So you have that element. And then you come on uh, that other layer of comedy. And so that's, I think, something that people are subconsciously responding to about this show. That's such high praise. I mean, really, I had so much fun. All I can say is just every day, Jake Szymanski and the and the writers were like, get in that room, which is a pressure cooker. You're in there and obviously nobody wants to upset the apple cart, but like have a good time with this character. You know who he is. You, you know how sort of deliciously um, self-involved he is. You know, it's all the character I'm playing is like the Hollywood guy who just wants to talk about all his projects because he doesn't have his entourage with him and his people who are stroking his feathers all the time around him. So maybe he's going to enlist some people in this room to do the same. So everything out of his mouth has to come from a very egocentric, self-centered place, right? Which is like, it's just hilarious to me. So they're debating on whether or not Cody's a guy or a girl. And and how, you know, how do I get into that conversation, <laughs> yeah. but also make it about me, Yeah, right? Yeah. Oh, hey, I got one for you, Caleb, you know, guy or girl, guy or girl, just baiting them to ask yes. him about his project and they just don't care. At any instance <laughs> in the show, any, right, they do right. not give a fuck. Right, because he's normally <laughs> insulated himself in his life and career with people who pretend to give a shit about it. Uh, his ego has been coddled for so long and he thinks that he's giving them a treat. Right. right? I, Hey, I'm gonna let you in on, uh, you know, what it's like to be a Hollywood superstar. Yeah. Like, here, I'm not supposed to show you this script, I'm but I'm gonna give you a little <laughs> peek at it. Like, we don't care. <laughs> we don't care. And then you get to see him deflate it, which is the fun. And it's so great because it's not just one person not caring, not just two. You have eleven jurors, yeah. all of whom yeah. don't care. And that was just <laughs> it was beautiful. Standing in line at a DMV, doing jury duty, the great equalizers. Like it doesn't matter who the hell you are in that room. We're all the same. We're right. all American citizens here doing our civic duty. I don't nobody cares what you do for a living. Right. Yeah. So talking about Ronald, yeah. you know, I spoke to several people, including David Bernad uh, and Cody Heller, who who yeah. spoke about the fact that when the show was conceived, they had written the character of Ronald or what they wanted to be Ronald. They named him the hero, right? right? So he was sort of devised to be a hero. That he ended up being received by the audience of the hero, I think is part of the lightning in a bottle that is this show. But I wanna know, is there a particular moment for you when you looked at Ronald and thought he is the hero that we devised him to be? It was a slow burn. It was like, he was always very playful. He was always very accepting of the absurdity that was unfolding around him. If we were really truly making the show that I was pitched, which was a Zoom I had with David Bernad, Lee Eisenberg, Gene Stavnitsky, 
Todd Shulman. I said, what is this show? Because I'm excited about the improv part of it. But I also am not interested in doing a prank show. Like I don't want to fool somebody, especially if they're in the dark for almost three weeks. Because that could get cruel. And they said, nope, we're not interested in doing that either. If we pull this off, hopefully it will be a celebration of this guy. And it's a hero's journey. It sounds like an excuse to, 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 to put the screws to somebody, right? And like you kind of label it this sort of virtuous thing, but it actually is just taking the piss. But uh, so that was our, that was my North Star throughout the whole shoot and the producers as well, to their credit. We were all on the same board tonally of what this should be, which is the comedy is going to come. What really needs to work is a meaning for this whole thing and the reason why we're doing it and a kind undertone of the whole thing. And, and the spirit needs to be uplifting without being heavy handed or overly sentimental. Because you can go that far too, right? Absolutely. You can like, okay, well, this is like, you know, this is a little soggy <laughs> and it's, it could have been more fun. And while we were filming it, it felt like an either or, like it's either going to be really funny and maybe skew a little mean, or it's going to be really sweet and sentimental and the comedy is going to be muted because of it. And somehow they both worked on this. But I remember thinking, if this is really the identity of the show, a hero's journey, very early on, I was like, you're not going to do any better than this guy. There were moments and characters that were supposed to you know, put him off, like the character of Todd, who was like his roommate at the hotel, doing already weird, weird things, slipping notes under his door and kind of eccentric character. And, and we didn't know how he was going to respond to that. And he ended up putting his arm around him and taking him on a, a shopping, <laughs> shopping spree and showing him the bug's life. It was like, this guy is really, really kind-hearted. On Sunday, I had showed Todd the movie A Bug's Life. It's about the bug who's making these inventions. He's trying to introduce technology into their lives. That's exactly what Todd is wanting to do. You know, that's what he's passionate about. And I think it's really cool. So I showed him that movie to kind of let him know that, you know, those people tend to be misunderstood in society. Just like it's portrayed in the movie, I feel like they do a perfect job. You know, he's kind of an outcast. People think he's a weirdo. They push him off to the side. And all he's trying to do is just help in his own way. And it, and it really worked. And again, who knows how he's going to respond when we pull the curtain back and he realizes that every human being around him for the last three weeks, every court proceeding, the whole case was all fake. And he's going to be going, what? what for what was wait what i mean imagine questioning your reality not to get too westworldy because i like uh -huh. to bring my my uh folder rolls back into this you know. <laughs> yeah please check it out if you haven't seen it i don't think you can see it actually uh, i don't think uh, you can <laughs> it's a whole other story um whole other story to talk about but uh imagine that nobody's gonna know what's going to affect him in a negative way or really a positive way. I mean, as we got to know Ronald throughout the course of the shoot, I recognized, obviously, he's got a sense of humor. He's a good person with like a really compassionate heart. But beyond that, I mean, this is a jarring thing to do to someone, right? That yeah. you're messing with someone's human experience for almost three weeks of their life. And I don't care how much you're celebrating them at the end of it. It's so subjective. I could say, oh, that's fun. Oh my God, what an adventure. And the producers could say, amazing, I'm getting a $100,000 check or I'm like, whatever, but who knows if this yeah. is going to send him into sort of spiraling or, or ups, upset or embarrassed and humiliation and like did not want to do any of those things. And the, the thing that was most important to me was, yes, we're going to tell him that this journey was fake, right? The court, the court case, these proceedings, the sort of bizarre, absurd situations that he was put in. But 
there was a whole other chunk of this adventure that was very real, which was like the friendships that were created, yeah. the connections that, that we made. And a lot of that you don't see in the show because they edited a lot of the stuff out and kind of trimmed the fat and kept the comedy. But there are moments where Ronald and I are laughing hysterically with each other and, and forging a real friendship. Yeah. And he did that with every character, every actor on the show. And it was important to me. It was like the most important things that he knew that that was all real. It's like what Cassandra says in the eighth episode where she says, we're, we're good actors, but we're not that good. Yeah. And I'm sure a lot of those moments were cut out, but even in some of the, like the super cut that you get in episode eight, yeah. I feel like we, we pick up on that. We, the audience, yeah. the fact that those moments were happening throughout all the more reason why we want the full edit. I mean, right. give us- Oh, I have a feeling there's gonna be plenty more to surface because there was so much, there were hours and hours of footage. Some are just us like hanging out, having a good time and also beats that were written in the script that somehow didn't make it in. Really, really funny stuff. So this is gonna be a nice little supplemental extra feature on the stream. Uh, there's so much, so much good stuff there. You know, at the end of the day, you have eight episodes of a 25 minute show, right? You can't put it all in. Yeah. Such a crazy experience. I mean, it was like camp. It was kind of like you were, you're stuck in, it, nothing glamorous about it at all from a Hollywood perspective either. You're in this dusty old abandoned courthouse with no windows and fluorescent light and there was no real makeup. Everyone kind of looked like dog shit. I did, I know I did. And it's like, you're just kind of in a cage. <laughs> you gotta like make it somehow interesting with this guy. You know, going back and thinking about like your 30 year career and the breadth of your work. And you're someone who from Straw Dogs to Hairspray to X-Men have kind of, I think when people say you're the guy from that thing, I think the subtext of that is because you're so many things to so many people. I don't think it's meant as an insult. I think it's actually meant as like the biggest compliment, which is that you sink into so many roles mm -hmm. that you can't sort of be one of those actors where it's like, oh, you're the guy from that right. because they're cycling through the, all the things That's you could be nice from. That's a nice way of putting it, actually. Yeah, I am very proud to have been a part of so many different genres and superhero movies and musicals and, all, you know, when I, yes, when someone says, I know you from something, Here's my resume. <laughs> right, yeah, yeah, you there pick. you go. Right. Yeah. Here's the menu. And I bring this up because I think that there could be a level of apathy that could develop for someone like you when a project like this comes along where you say, why would I want to sit in a courtroom with these fluorescent lights and, and listen to six hours of, of something when I'm sure there's scripts coming in where I'm the lead of? You've been in these big budget things before. I think part of the joy of seeing you in this project is how seemingly unexpected it is to have someone like you in this. And yet again, we come back to the lightning in a bottle, the alchemy, blah, blah, blah. But I'm just wondering, one of my key takeaways from watching you in this and from talking to um, Ronald, actually, yeah. too, is how invested you were in this show, in the humanity of Ronald, mm -hmm. in this cast. It's clear even in watching you all hang out afterwards, you didn't just clock in, do the job and go home. And it's so distinctly not the case for you. And I'm wondering about that. Well, it's a great question because I would be lying to you if I told you there weren't moments where I said, what have I done? <laughs> yeah. what, what have I gotten myself into? <laughs> I, there's a line in the show where they say, in one word, say what today was about. And I say, of course, say a whole phrase in, the, in mourning for my career, right? And there was a moment where there was a tinge of that seeping through my sort of consciousness of like, what the hell is this show and what did I sign up for? And was this a good move or is this gonna work? And my career objectives are always like, don't ever get comfortable, take risks. And sometimes they work and sometimes they don't. But if, if your initial gut 
an instinct on a project is, oh, this really excites me. It also scares me to death, but it excites me. I've tried over the years to always make sure I lean into that. I remember that on this one when I was reading the scripts, I just lay home like howling out loud with laughter and thought, what a fun thing to play, right? Like completely lampooning myself or the, you know, the Hollywood celebrity thing and getting in a room with all these brilliant young improv artists. That was tremendously exciting. If the material's good and, and there's potential and promise for for you to sort of do something that's never been done before, which is a rare thing nowadays. I do want to mention too, in talking to Ronald, this show was shot quite a while ago. Mm -hmm. So not only did Ronald have the reveal that we all saw, but then had a year of having an experience that he couldn't quite explain to anyone because who would understand? I bring this, this up because Ronald mentioned the fact that all throughout this process, you have been texting him, you have stayed present, you have followed up with him just to make sure he's doing okay. I also feel like there's sort of a hero journey here with you, if I may, you've made a point to really stay connected to this human being, be in his life, nurture him, make sure that he's comfortable with all the machinations that come not only with fame, mm -hmm. but the meteoric rise of fame. Fame is something that a lot of people seek out, but don't really know the implications of fame. Mm -hmm. And I just think that that's worth expressing to you right now. And that level of care, I just, I don't encounter that a lot in Hollywood and, and in life even. Well, that's really nice of you to say. And he's such an empath and, and getting to know him through the, the, the process of the shoot, there were moments that I hated because it made him uncomfortable. And I didn't the like that. Club. I didn't like that at all. Yeah, the birthday party, all of that. I mean, um, because he's <sighs> such an empathetic human being, he didn't, he would be upset if one of his friends was upset or felt embarrassed, right? So he's a human being. We're all human beings and I don't care, you know, how many movies I've ever done or this was as much of a journey for me as it was for him. I, I, I don't think I'll ever go through life and have another comp for this kind of experience. It was just, there was this, this perfect blend of real life. Like you're, you're in there, you're playing yourself. Yes, but it's a version of yourself, but I'm still there. It's still me there. If we're saying we want this to be a hero's journey and we want to hoist this guy on our shoulders at the end and celebrate his character, you know, there's not any part of me that can genuinely do that unless it's real. And if it's real, I'm not going to be, okay, that's a wrap. See you later. That was fun. Mm. You know, this is a guy who I feel like we all could be a little more like. It's important to me that he knows that I genuinely care about him. And he doesn't know this business. You know, like you said, meteoric rise to fame. This guy has been shot out of a cannon. And who knows if he's prepared to deal with any of that. He doesn't want to bother me, right, with like asking me questions every day. So I'm always going to him going, hey, what's going on? Like, how's the love? How's the love feel? The world's in love with you. I'm like, what's, how's that feel? Does it feel good? Maybe it doesn't feel good. I don't know. But I mean, he, he texted me. He said, I got this text from someone saying that she's a producer that knows um, David Bernad and, and wants me to call her, call her back about a role in a movie or something. And I was like, well, just stick a pin in that for a second. Hold on. And I did a little background check and I was like, this was actually legit. So it was someone who worked with one of our producers who was looking to 
bring Ronald on board for one of their projects. Do you know who you, and, and then this conversation sort of reminds me of, and I, I, I kept thinking about him throughout watching the show, is Mike White. Yeah. Um, your friend, actually, and collaborator. For those that haven't seen The D-Train, uh, <laughs> a fantastic film with oh. some real resonance. Anywho, I bring that up because, have you watched Mike on Survivor? No. Do you know about Mike on Survivor? I don't. Do you know that Mike competed on season 37? Wait, no, I, do, I did know this. I did know this. Wow. So Mike White was a contestant? Uh, Mike White was a runner-up. Mike White should on have won. On Survivor? Yes. <laughs> wow. Breaking this to you. And you wow. know that Mike is sort of a low-key, unofficial consultant on the show. Jeff Probst will call yeah. Mike when they want to make some sort of change to the show. I'm a huge Survivor fan. I have a Survivor okay. podcast. We're on season 45 of Survivor right now. Wow. And Jeff will call Mike, run a new twist he's thinking by him and just get his perspective. And Mike White has a rule with Survivor, which is applicable to life, where he says, okay, but is it fun? And they'll literally not go forward with twists that they were planned because mm -hmm. Jeff will think about it and he'll be like, yeah, it's not that fun. But anyway, I bring this up because Mike playing Survivor is so unexpected. He's this big Hollywood guy working on all these incredible projects. Why would he want to go and live on an island for 39 days with a bunch of strangers? And it's because Mike White seeks out experience and understands that staying within the Hollywood bubble, it's not for everyone. And, it's, yeah. and, and he understands that the real relationships that can be gained are when you sort of step outside your comfort zone. Mm -hmm. And you in this moment sort of remind you of me of Mike because it's like, you're you're forging a connection with someone it's so real and it's through work but it's through a whole different kind of work yeah um i encourage you to watch my i season. gotta i gotta check that out yeah that's uh that's outstanding that he went on i mean and i i applaud him for doing that and i i know him well enough that that doesn't surprise me right like he's not somebody who is going to be your normal hollywood guy who goes well i'm a hollywood person i don't do that yes He's one who's like, no, I'm a human being who is curious about human behavior and certain things in life make me laugh. And I'm here to experience whatever I feel like I want to experience. So I applaud Mike White for having the, not courage, because just like the, the pure, the sort of purity of heart to be in a creative space, there are no boundaries. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I'm going to go for whatever is going to float my boat at the time and be like, that sounds fun and kind of way left of center and kind of crazy. And I like the weird. Yeah. Right. And yeah. Mike likes the weird. You yeah. can tell. And like, I gravitate towards it. I don't want anything that's cookie cutter. Mike had a party recently and Jennifer Coolidge stopped by and then Parvati, who's kind of like the biggest, one of the biggest stars in the Survivor universe was there. Yeah. And Parvati texts me and she goes, oh my God, like Jennifer Coolidge is here. And I literally texted Jennifer Coolidge and I was like, Parvati is at the party you are at right now. Like, just it's like these are the stars. Like, it's like, yeah. of course, Jennifer Coolidge is Jennifer Coolidge. Right. But like I said to Jen, I was like, you're in the presence right now of like <laughs> one of the biggest superstars in the survivor verse because it's like there are just these worlds where it's mm -hmm. like you walk down the street, it's like you might not know this person, but in their world, they might be the Dungeons and Dragons, right. you know. So I like that he, Mike, and, and I think you as well, recognize that you don't have to be the biggest name to be important. In no, world. no. And actually, I'll speak further to that about the rest of our cast on this show. I was not the star of this show. I mean, I was within the narrative, I was the celebrity, but it was so equal with everyone. And they were all of these young kids who 
come from improv backgrounds or schools or whatever, and they just come in and knock it out of the park. But one of the things I love about this show is that it proves that any sort of formula that Hollywood wants to put together, like this is what you need to have a successful show or to have a successful movie, it kind of takes it and flips it on its head. Like none of these people are, are recognizable. None of these people have like gazillions of followers. And this guy who is an average guy who comes in and no one knows, right? And here we are with this like massive hit. And it's a testament to taking the big risks, big swings, going for it because you believe in a concept. And then I, I just, I want to celebrate the rest of the cast on this show. The superstars are the ones that like aren't the movie stars nowadays, right? It's like, here's the superstar of, uh, of, of Survivor and this, and right? like Absolutely. And, and I, I think every actor in this show deserves that kind of recognition and notoriety. Yes. Yeah. I also want to mention too, one of the great things about this show is, and I said this to Ronald, I was like, great art has the power to change viewers' lives. Not just the, I mean, I think no doubt all of your lives are changed through this experience. This show, it's not just funny. It's not just heartfelt. It's not just joy inducing. It's all those things. Mm -hmm. But like, I think that I plan to move through the world differently as a result of like, meeting. And when I say meeting, I don't mean my personal meeting of, I mean like meeting Ronald Gladden on my screen. I don't want to be so jaded. Yeah. There are Ronalds in the world. Yes, this show is a hit, but even more than that, I think that this show is making people feel things. Yeah. And like, I don't think you come by that a lot. Like I think you, no. people might have things that they really are super fans of and all of that stuff, but to feel something, yeah. I think that is the highest possible praise. And this show is making so many people feel such a way. We need it, right? How this show came together and the response from people has been, most are surprised by how emotional they actually got at the end of it and how moved. Because you don't anticipate a, you know, a reality show, goofy office style comedy improv thing to strike those chords in you yeah. at the end. And it, and it's a testament to that human being. Yeah, I had to leave you a voice message prior to watching <laughs> episode eight because I had an inkling from what I was starting to see the chatter on the internet, which I avoided. But I was like, I have a feeling my life is gonna change after I see this. And I was like, I'm just need to, I was like, I wanna have one last interaction with Marsden before my life changes. And like, I, I, I yeah, and it lived up to that. Yeah. Okay, I have three callers that called in with some questions. Okay. Uh, three people I believe that you know. I know them? Mm -hmm. Interesting. You'll know all three of them. Hmm. So first up, he's been a, a topic of conversation throughout. Hey James, this is your four person here. I've actually got a two-parter for you. First part is, if I would have actually bought Sonic as a DVD, would you have gotten anything for it? Second part to this question is, seeing as how I've brought a lot of attention to the movie, how much are you going to pay me to be a promoter? <laughs> Bless his heart. <laughs> Bless his heart. God, I just, we all need to be more like Ronald Gladden. Maybe I would have gotten a few dollars if he'd have bought it. <laughs> <laughs> Certainly a few. So then to answer his second question, sure, I would have thrown him a bone or two. Great. It's so hard to talk to Ronald or even just hear his voice and not go back into the uh -huh. jackass James Marsden character. It's such a fun thing to play. So when I hear it, I'm like, yeah, yeah. I mean, a dollar, <laughs> come on. Like I had some big checks on those things. I mean, obviously, if you bought it, I would have gotten $20. And yeah, you can take 10% of that. Here's $2. <laughs> okay, our next caller. Hi, James. This is Zach Braff here. I've been asked to ask you a question, and I'm very thrilled to do that because I'm loving jury duty. 
it's so unique and so fascinating to me and so incredibly well executed and you're so funny and self-deprecating and hilarious my question is while you were making it did you have moments where you were wrestling with whether this was right <laughs> i guess what i mean to say is i know you and that you're such a good man and uh, and 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 did it ever feel did you have moments where you felt cuz because this this guy was so kind and so uh, just a sweetheart of a human being that were you worried at times even though you knew you were making something great that he would feel upset and tricked and angry yeah, no, I, I, uh, he's spot on. I think Zach and I are similar. But not pithy. That, that, yeah, that, in that regard, Zach and I are very similar because I know that he was going through everything that I was going through in my mind. If you play that out, uh, to answer that question to my good friend Zach, who I, I love and adore, yeah, I almost backed out of the project, like before we started shooting, um, because I had about five days of. Not even that, three or four days of rehearsal, and the rest of the cast had another week on top of it. So, two things. One, I felt like I, I'm going to be the one to screw this thing up, or I won't be funny because they're all professional improv people. But once the sort of elation and excitement of the improvs, that, that component, this is like me doing my Christopher Guest stuff. Mm -hmm. They only told me a little bit about Ronald. Like, here, here's what he does for a living. He's like, likes corgi dogs and whatever, but I didn't get much information. And I started realizing that this is a human being who's coming into this situation and doesn't know that we're going to bamboozle him for three weeks. And again, even if it has the greatest intentions at the end of it, that's a long time to screw screw with somebody. Sasha does it for a, an afternoon. You know, for those listening, this is Sasha Baron Cohen. Sasha Baron Cohen, yeah. right. Sorry, yes. That's okay. So there was a moment where I was calling my agents, I don't know if I can do this. The only way I can do this is if... I make an ass of myself, but I, I, I cannot do anything to this poor human being. Because once the audience knows that he's in the dark, you're a bad guy immediately. And you have to figure out a way to get back in good graces with the audience mm. by the end. Right? They're immediately on his side. And sure, there's people out there that are like, I don't care. Like, you know, turn the screws to him. It's funny. But I, I'm, not a, I'm not a huge fan of those kinds of comedies, to be completely clear. And like, we have enough they, of them. So I was like, I don't think I have it in my heart to do this to this guy. And they're like, well, that this is, but we're celebrating him at the end. And it's like, yeah, but you're still, this is his life. Mm. And these are days of his life. And, and I just said, I have to, the only way forward is to um, make sure that this is really what you say it is. Like we're really going to create a path for this man to hopefully have his 12 angry men moment at the end where he, unites all of these wonderful eccentric weirdos and becomes our hero and our leader and I, I was really apprehensive from the beginning i was like who were you gonna cast in my role before i said yes to this and and i think bernad said like nobody like we we couldn't get somebody like eric andre or nick kroll or something because it would be too obvious yeah. like it needed to be somebody who could do the comedy but isn't really known for this style of comedy um, but I, I remember just really having one foot in and one foot out early, early on. I was like, I don't think I can do this. Cause it just, it hit me like a, like a freight train the day before we started shooting. Cause before that I was into the scripts and I was laughing. I take this giant shit and I do this, this. And then the reality started to come in that here's this like sweet, unassuming guy. And my heart sunk. 
And to answer Zach's question, absolutely. I was questioning that every day. Mm. And me and the producers, credit to them, credit to Jake Zemanski, the director. We talked on the phone every day. Are we sort of morally feeling okay with this? Mm. It was just so important to me that he's really cared for and I just want to be his pal. <laughs> you know, that's like, you know, at the end of it, I think the producers are like, okay, cool, you're, you're done. You can go right. home. Like, yeah. I know this was hard. Go back to your creature comforts. And I was like, no, I, I, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to just say goodbye mm. to this guy. So yes, Zach, I was very worried about it throughout the whole process. And I think the most worried when we revealed, when we pulled the curtain back. Okay, so we're going to close out with this one. So this person did not end up submitting a question. They left me on, I'm waiting for the follow-up, but I'm still going to play part one of their question because it might elicit you to jog the memory that they were trying to get to. Okay. Um, this person was a potential co-star of yours because I read that you were at one point up for a potential role in Magic Mike. <laughs> that did not happen. But nonetheless, we have the star of Magic Mike, Channing Tatum. Tell me if you can discern from this message. Evan, I'm literally remembering at two o'clock in the morning as I'm going to bed uh, that I actually do I have a story with James Marsden. I'm, I'm not a, I'm not like, we're not like homies or anything. We're just like, you know, acquaintances, you know, we see each, around, each other around the industry or whatever. But uh, yeah, I'm, I'm going to voice note you tomorrow, maybe. <laughs> like, I'm a little too tired uh, right now. Um, but yeah, I, I'm sorry. I, I took so long to uh, get back to you. My bad. Okay, I accept your apology, Channing, but I did not hear back from him afterwards. Maybe uh, not yet. Like, maybe because he was like, maybe I don't know if I tell that story. Uh, <laughs> yeah, no, I was, he was, we were chatting around when Magic Mike was getting cast. And I remember just thinking, I, I, I mean, I put it out there in the press already. I was like, I didn't do it because the, the role was somewhat small and I didn't care about that. But uh, when, when there's a small role, you have to kind of be careful uh, that, it, it, how essential the, the part is to the, the story because what happens is you read the script and 75% of that makes the movie. So if you're part of that 25%, I was very close to, you know, in my mind, I was thinking if they cut this part out, I'm going to be a background player in a Speedo. And people are going to be like, why is James Marsden in this movie that, and he doesn't say two words. <laughs> so that was my fear. I know I just said, and now I sound contradictory and hypocritical that I was like, you got to take big swings and take big <laughs> risks in Hollywood. Maybe that was the moment that made me realize, you know, don't be so safe. But I was like, it's Steven fucking Soderbergh. Like, you know, but Channing was great. And he was calling me going, Hey, I know it's not a ton on the page, but we're going to improv stuff. We're going to add stuff on the day. And, you know, and sometimes those promises like happen and sometimes they don't. And I, and it was all, it had nothing to do with him or the show or the movie or anything. It was all me just worried about one. What am I going to look like on stage? Can I even do this kind of dancing? Uh, so I was a little nervous about that. And, and that's why I ended up not doing the movie. But what he's talking about, I'm guessing. I saw him at a bar, I don't know how many years back. It was after Magic Mike. And I was with a couple of buddies of mine. He was with a couple of buddies his. And I was like, what's up, man? How's it going? Good to see you. And again, we're acquaintances. We're not like super tight, but we, we always enjoy hanging out with each other when we see each other. And he's like, come back and have a drink with us and just chill for a bit. And so I, I went back and brought one of my friends and we sat at a table right next to them. Caught up, you know, shot the shit, had a beer or whatever. And then I kept talking with my friend and me and some of my friends do the most juvenile things sometimes when we go out for a, like a, a drink. We get a little tipsy and cantankerous and we arm wrestle each other. I remember me and my friend were like, 
I wonder if Chan. I wonder if Chad Channing's good. I wonder if he's a big, strong guy, or whatever. And Channing overheard me and my friend kind of sizing him and his friend up in a playful way, of course. And then he turns to me and he goes, "Did I just hear you guys talking about like whether or not you could beat me, or are, are you are you sizing me up?" And it was it was playful, obviously. And we were like, "Yeah." <laughs> and he's like, "With what?" And I'm like, like I don't know, arm wrestling. <laughs> And I, I remember arm wrestling his buddy, I forget his name, but and I beat his friend and then Channing and I arm wrestled and he quite handily beat me. Uh, so I wonder if that's the story he was going to tell. We were just a bunch of frat boys in a bar one night arm wrestling each other. I feel like if you're going to lose an arm wrestle, wrestling, is it a match? Is that even what it's called? To anyone? Let it be Channing. It, let it be Channing. And you also, know? even if you could have beaten him, you just let him win. I concur. Last thing I want to ask you uh, before we conclude, is there anything that I didn't ask or didn't cover? I just want to, yeah, I give you the floor real quick in case I missed anything. I don't know what I'm leaving you with. It's just, it's such a unique experience for me. I feel like a little bit of like what Ronald must feel like and that I've not experienced something similar to this mm. before. Are you down for the reunion? That I, this does not exist. This is fanfic at this point, <laughs> right. but there's, you know, people want a reunion. Uh, yeah, I just don't know in what capacity and and if I would be spoiling the the party if I do that. But of course, I mean, I'm trying to figure out how to. I had so much fun playing this character and like getting in the room and messing around with the all the other improv uh, actors. That I'm like I need to do more of this. I really yeah. want to do more of this, and just don't know what that looks like, but we're exploring it. And as far as like another season, I just saw Questlove did this amazing uh -huh. post. I'm like, whoa, he's like, y'all gotta see this. And if they gotta get it to season three without fooling us, I mean, I would totally do it, but I'd have to know that we could still fool everybody if mm. I'm involved. Did you see that Demi Lovato commented on Questlove's post no. about it? Yeah, Demi Lovato commented. You're There's kidding. a bunch of A-listers that have commented on Questlove's post. I have, I, it's insane. Yeah. I mean, it's it's really insane. I'm getting texts from people, you know, you know when you hear for, like a number will pop up on your phone, you're like, who is this? Yeah. And then so, someone says, hey, hey, how's it going? Just checking in. Or, hey, I saw your show. It's really funny. And you still don't know who it is. So you go back to your previous text. I've had maybe 50 of those and they were like, my last text conversation with that person was from like 2009. <laughs> so one, I need to change my phone number. <laughs> yeah, Two, it's just, it's the, the, the reach of this thing is just, is insane. Yeah. Um, so I'm just, I'm really proud of it. And, and, uh, and Ronald for president. Ronald for president. All right. Great. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, shut up, Evan. Oh, shut up, Evan. Shut up, Evan. Shut Up Evan is produced by me, Evan Ross Katz, with audio editing by Sophia Asmuth and social media by Griffin Dunn. Shout out to our Patreon subscribers for their financial support. And thank you to you all, the listeners, for helping us keep the lights on. Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M dot com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. 
There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.